You are listening to the SUSNET podcast by the Swedish South Asian Studies Network. Welcome to the SUSNET podcast. I'm Hanna Geshevsky, and for this episode, I'd like to welcome Nirja Mazumda from the Swedish Institute of Foreign Policy. Nirja is a political science and journalism scholar from Bangladesh who holds master's degrees from the University of Chittagong and Örebro University. He's mainly interested in foreign policy, political conflicts, security issues and violent extremism in South Asia. While we've already covered various impacts of the coronavirus pandemic in other parts of South Asia, mainly India and Nepal, we haven't talked about the situation in Bangladesh in this podcast, so we are really happy to welcome Nirja to this episode today and uh, tell us more about the recent developments in his home country. Nirja, since the first official cases were reported in March, how has the coronavirus pandemic unfolded in Bangladesh so far? All right, all right. The, the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Bangladesh appeared on March 27th. And um, since then, uh, like the other countries, it's been on the rise. And right now, there are 15,691 cases as of today, and of them, 239 people died. So that's the number of cases. But there is a problem with this type of statistics in Bangladesh because the testing facilities and, and the number of tests that are done are very little compared to the population of Bangladesh. You know, we have around 170 million people in Bangladesh and compared to this population, the, the number of tests that are being done is very insufficient. So that's one very basic problem. One thing is there is a lack of testing kits and there is lack of testing facilities. And also there are a lack of medical technicians, people who are able to perform the tests. So that's one aspect of this problem that we have to consider regarding the situation in Bangladesh. And also there are some specific regions that appeared to be more affected than other parts of Bangladesh. For example, there is this district called Narayanganj. For some strange reason, this district has a much higher uh, reported cases of COVID than other regions of Bangladesh. We, we are not quite sure why it is happening. What's the reason behind, behind the spread of corona in this particular uh, district? But this is happening. So given this rapidly increasing number of positive cases, how is the Bangladeshi health system coping so far? Um, there are a couple of aspects that we have to consider when discussing the, the healthcare system and the facilities that are offered to the coronavirus patients. You know, Bangladesh has both public funded healthcare and private funded healthcare. So what happens is that the first thing here is it's a very widespread fear engulfing the entire healthcare system on the infection of coronavirus. So basically what's happening, many private hospitals, they're flat out refusing people to access healthcare. That's very unfortunate and, and scary, but that's uh, happening at a very large scale. The hospitals, they're uh, flat out denying people of accessing of any type of healthcare. So if you were, let's say, if you're a non-corona patient, if you have other health conditions, at this moment of time, it is really problematic and hard to get access to the healthcare, uh, be it in a private hospital, be it in the public hospital. So that's one part of the problem. 
And the doctors are very frightened because there is a severe shortage of personal protective equipment that sort of adds to this problem. So uh, I want to give one particular information here. Um, Bangladesh has most percentages of affected doctors than anywhere in in the world. So that sort of says the, the magnitude of this problem. So this is one part that the healthcare system is not actually overrun. But what's happening is that the fear is so strong among the general people of getting this infection and the the healthcare professional that they're denying the treatment for any other patient. So that's the problem that the healthcare system have at this moment. And again, there were some other very common problems that we are seeing, as I was telling earlier, the shortage of protective equipments. And then there is shortage of ICUs in Bangladesh. Actually, we are not, uh, we don't have any statistics that how many ICUs we have in the entire country. Sometimes there were contradiction in the governmental statistics uh, of, of how many ICUs are actually operational in the country and then how many of them uh, have been dedicated for the corona patient that we are not quite sure as well. And again, the overall problem with healthcare system is that there is no centralized system of keeping this type of statistics. So you cannot really measure what's the magnitude of the problem. But what we have observed is that there is a severe shortage of ICUs, and then there there are shortages of healthcare workers and doctors who can provide services in, in the ICUs. So that's overall the situation looks pretty green in Bangladesh. And on top of that, making matter worse, as I was telling you, that the number of infected doctors is unusually high in Bangladesh. And that's due to the fact that they were not provided with protective gears. And whenever they were provided with the, with the gears, those equipments were actually below the standard. So that sort of contributed in this very high number of infected healthcare professionals. On top of that, as I was telling you, that there is a very strong fear over getting the infection. What's happening, which is quite unfortunate, many doctors and and healthcare professionals, they are actually facing quite a strong social stigma. For example, if you are a doctor and if you are providing services to corona patients, what happens, you cannot go back to your home because your neighbors and, and maybe your, your land uh, house owners, they become very aggressive for the fact that you were in contact with COVID patients. And there are numerous instances when the doctors and healthcare professionals are actually harassed, thrown out of their homes out of fear. And um, that made uh, matters more worse than it actually is. And regarding the protective equipments, uh, there is this large debate of corruption. Um, the health ministry of, of Bangladesh, and they were heavily criticized for alleged corruptions uh, in providing the doctors with the healthcare equipment. And very recently, there is this trend that if the doctors, if they complain about not getting protective equipment, if they complain about the conduct from the health ministry, then usually they face governmental repercussions. We know many instances where the doctors complained in social media and uh, afterwards they were dismissed from their duties. Some of them lost their jobs. And these are actually coercive measures taken by by the health ministry of, of Bangladeshi government. 
So this is uh, what's happening with the healthcare system in Bangladesh regarding the COVID-19 situation. Nija, you mentioned the social stigma that doctors and other health professionals are facing from society. Have there been similar trends in the stigmatization of coronavirus patients? Very heavily. I have seen numerous newspaper articles and uh, I personally know many cases where people have died. It's not proven if the, if the deceased person uh, had corona or not, but some of them died with the corona symptoms. And actually, the local inhabitants and neighbors have denied them a funeral to be taken in those places. So this has been a problem to the extent where the government and especially the police, they have taken initiatives so that if any locality, if any families, if they uh, deny a proper funeral to the deceased people, then it, actually the police and the, and, and the local representative of the government, they, they will uh, make sure that, that the person gets a funeral. So the, the social stigma, it's way higher for the patient than, than any, anybody else. You know, at this moment, we have seen that many patients were harassed, many were threatened uh, to be born alive. The social stigma is it's really strong, that I can say. Um, even for the people that are not actually corona affected, but uh, shown some symptoms, you know, the, the symptoms for corona are quite common for other common colds and influenzas. And we have seen people who have been denied health care in the hospital because they have corona. We have seen people who have actually died due to this denial to health care. The social stigma overall regarding the virus is very high. It's really strong. And I should say it is happening to an extent where the stigma itself become a larger problem than the virus, actually. So it is very, it is quite tough for the COVID patients in terms of accessing to healthcare and, and even people who doesn't need an access to healthcare, for them it has become very problematic to live their common life. So the neighbors have protested, um, have refused to, to stay with them in the same buildings and, and some people were threatened and, and, you know, there were attacks that have been made um, against um, in, in, in the corona patients' uh, houses. There are instances uh, of, of such events. As this seems to be a very problematic development, are you aware of any measures taken by the government and public authorities to reduce this risk of stigmatization of those concerned? Well, there are actually two very opposite and contradictory trends that have been happening in Bangladesh, if you see. For instance, there are many religious preachers that have been falsely claiming that people won't get the virus if they go outside, if they go to the mosque, and if they pray. These type of claims are actually widely spreading and contributed to the, to the inefficacy of the lockdown. That's one trend. And, and then compared to that, we have the social stigmas. Uh, many pockets of the country, uh, there, there are violent events that took place against the coronavirus situation. But I haven't seen any measurement from the government's part to uh, sort of deal with the social stigma, to sort of let the people know that 
um, COVID patients have their rights as well. Um, you, you know, they're not they're not monsters. <laughs> so, uh, but what is really commendable from from the government part is that, especially, I want to mention about about the role of the law enforcement. They have been doing quite a good job, especially in providing funerals to the COVID patients and and to people who have been denied a funeral uh, by 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 their family members or by the by the neighbors. And except for these type of initiatives taken by the police, I'm not aware of any measures, any steps taken by the government to deal with the social stigma. Uh, but I want to mention that the Prime Minister of Bangladesh, uh, she addressed uh, the, the nation several times in the beginning of, of the situation, in the last month. And in March, I think she, she appeared quite a few times in the television and uh, tried to sort of brief the people about the situation. But that has proven to be very little uh, effective in reducing the social stigma attached to, to coronavirus. Another aspect you mentioned is the testing, or rather the lack of testing at the moment. Um, what are the reasons for the insufficient availability of coronavirus tests in Bangladesh? And what has the government done about it? The role of the government is quite sketchy in this regard. In one hand, the government is saying that they don't have any sort of uh, shortage for the testing kit. But in reality, what we have seen is there is a very acute severe shortage of, of testing kits. So the government is in denial of this type of shortage. So that's one part. I, I want to say one of my personal experience, my own sister, who is an university professor in Bangladesh, she actually tried to get a test a couple of days ago um, because she has some of the symptoms. And then it took her almost 12 days before she managed to, to give the sample. And then what happened, she, she had to wait uh, quite an unusual time for getting the reports. And as I was telling you earlier, this is due to the fact that we have a shortage on everything. Um, it, it starts with the testing kits, then it, it starts with the testing facilities, and then it comes down to the medical practitioners who are able to perform such tests. All of it is, is contributing altogether. But from the government side, what we have seen is that they're in, in a sort of strong denial on everything. According to the to the government, everything is, is going all right. Sometimes they acknowledge some small problems, but most of the time the government denies that there is a shortage of, of this type of thing. I want to mention about one particular debate that has been going on in, in Bangladesh regarding the coronavirus testing kit. We have a local healthcare organization, which is a non-profit organization named Ganoshasto Kendro, which means public health center. It's a non-profit organization. And they have claimed that they, they have devised a very cheap uh, way of testing. They have devised a testing kit. And regarding that, there are debates going on between the owners of this nonprofit and the government. The government doesn't uh, want to take the testing kit and, and roll it out in, inside the country. But, but the organization says that they want to provide it at a very cheaper rate. They have occupied the public discourses in, in Bangladesh regarding the corona situation, but the government's response so far is not very optimistic and is not very efficient, I must say. So speaking of responses to the pandemic, 
what else has the Bangladeshi government done to control the spread of the virus? And do we see measures similar to those in Nepal and India, where the governments impose strict lockdowns? In Bangladesh, we have actually uh, the lockdown. It's, it's a partial lockdown, you know. During the last week of March, the government have started taking some measures for the lockdown. Schools were closed. So that's how it all started. Then eventually the, the mosque and shopping malls and the garments industries um, have been closed. Uh, you know, we have lots of garment factories in, in Bangladesh. They have been closed for quite a while, while now. And this has also been a big issue of debate, uh, especially for the for the garments industries in, in Bangladesh, because the garments owners, they, they wanted to open the factories as, as long as possible. But the people and the workers there, they were quite afraid um, for getting the virus, and they wanted the factories to be closed. What we have seen with the garment factories in particular, that now it's been almost a month that the factories were closed, and now they have started reopening. So when the government started reopening, the government eventually said that they, they are going to retreat from the, from, from the lockdown measures, and now they are saying that they, they're going to open some non-emergency services, for example, the shopping malls that will be opened as, as well. But most of the educational institutions are actually closed so far since the last week of March. So that's one part of this lockdown. And then what happened, the government has imposed partial uh, scheduled lockdown. For example, from 6 a.m. in the morning up until 6 p.m., if somebody uh, wants to go outside of their home, they cannot do that except for the fact that if they go out for some emergency or, or urgent measures. Um, so that's one step the government took. And, uh, but now they're saying that probably from this week, this measurement of scheduled lockdown uh, will go away. So that's one part. And as you might know, it's the month of Ramadan in Bangladesh. So it has become a matter of public debate whether we should keep the shopping malls open or not. Because usually what happens uh, during the Eid festival, which takes place by the end of the month of Ramadan, it's the largest festival for the Muslims in, in Bangladesh. So during this time, people usually do a lot of shopping. It's like Christmas. So uh, it has become a matter of public debate that uh, whether we should open the shopping malls. Government opted out. They say that they, they want to open the shopping malls at a limited capacity, but it's not quite clear what, what does it actually mean by limited capacity. And that's one part. Again, there is another tension in the government and in, in the public sphere uh, on the closure of mosques. Now, theoretically, officially, the government has closed down the mosque, but in reality, it has become quite difficult to close the mosque. So at first, in, in the beginning of the lockdown, the government said that they're going to close down the mosque. And then after some Islamic groups protested against this decision, then the decision has been changed and the government said that around 10 to 12 people might attend praying inside the mosque. But eventually we had some events which were quite unfortunate uh, that some public gatherings took place 
in some part of the country, which were quite large and thus um, made the, the chances of mass infection quite higher. And, and some of them actually were reported to the international media as well. So this, the government, when it comes to lockdown, in one part, the government tried to contain the um, the, the spread of in, infection. But uh, what we have noticed is that the government didn't want to take any sort of harsh measure like the other countries have, have taken. Um, they took quite gradual steps in implementing lockdowns in, in Bangladesh. As you mentioned, Nirja, many industries have been shut or have been producing at limited capacity. And this, of course, means that many people have been losing their jobs. So how has the government been supporting people that suddenly have no longer an income source? I'm especially thinking of the informal sector and um, daily wage workers. Regarding the economic situation and the effect of COVID situation in, in the economy, it's quite grim. Um, now, uh, the Bangladeshi government, they have declared uh, an $8 billion package for the affected industries. But what's very interesting is that in, in the $8 billion stimulus plan, there is no allocation for uh, informal sectors. You know, this informal sector, uh, it comprises, I'm, I'm quoting from one one article from the Atlantic Council, it comprises of 87% of the, of the workforce. So the government stimulus plan in paper, it looks really big. It has, it, it has allocated lots of money for many, many parts of, of the economy. For example, um, the affected industries, uh, the small and medium enterprises would, would get around $2.36 billion. And then um, Export Development Fund will get uh, $1.5 million. And uh, Central Bank's credit facilities will get $590 million. So um, there are many industries will, will get uh, quite a large chunk of money. But this, this is quite inefficient due to the fact that there were very little initiatives have been taken for the poor workers, especially in the government's industries. There were some um, some protests by the by the workers because they were not paid when the uh, when the factories got closed, and this has contributed in the government's decision to uh, reopen the garments industry, and and eventually uh, it affected the other sectors of, of the society as well. So what I can say that due to the coronavirus situation, it's the poor in Bangladesh that are affected the most. So that's one part of, of this entire situation. As far as I know that, that the governments, um, they try to allocate some money in some poor families, but I'm not quite uh, sure about, about the statistics. Uh, but there were initiatives from the government that um, that try to distribute monies to the most affected poor in Bangladesh. In this regard, I want to say that we have some um, non-governmental uh, organizations, some some local charities that have been doing an outstanding job in providing food to the to the poorest family. For example, and uh, I, I can talk about one organization called the Big the Foundation. This is a charity organization, but um, so far. They're active in almost 90% districts of the country, and they are providing um, food. It's actually the, their operation is visibly more bigger 
than the government. Again, coming back to the garment industry, which accounts for 80% of Bangladesh's exports, do you know of any responses from all these huge international brands that produce in Bangladesh? Um, so far, no. I want to say one thing. It's um, the BGMEA, the, the uh, Association for the Garment Manufacturers and Garments Owner. Their president has said that the garments industries have lost uh, lots of valuable orders in the last couple of months. But it's quite sketchy. The, the, the garments manufacturers, garments owner, they said that they, they lost lots of orders due to the coronavirus situation. And uh, I think it was last week the Swedish prime minister has talked with, with the Bangladeshi prime minister. And uh, the, the Swedish prime minister tried to assure the Bangladeshi, her, his Bangladeshi counterpart, that Sweden will try to continue the usual business uh, relationship. But um, for the other international buyers, the governments, they, they lost lots of orders, uh, which affected the sectors financially. Having said that, if, if you look at the government stimulus package, they have actually allocated quite a lot of money for for the garments manufacturers. And, and there were some workers' union that have been complaining that these, these stimulus packages will actually not benefit the, the grassroots level workers. Uh, rather, it will benefit the garments manufacturers and, and the owners. So that, that's another part of this problem. Another topic I'd like to touch upon is the situation of Bangladeshis abroad. It's estimated that around 10 million Bangladeshis are currently employed abroad as migrant workers. What can you tell us about their situation? Um, we have migrant workers, big societies of migrant workers in, in many countries around the world, in the Middle East. And we, have a, we have a very large Bangladeshi community in, in Britain and in the United States. So it actually depends country to country, but... So far, what we have seen that the Bangladeshi government has taken some initiatives to assist the migrant workers at the Maldives uh, after the Maldives government um, requested Bangladesh to take back some of the undocumented workers. And in response, the Bangladeshi government sent some foods and some other materials to assist these undocumented and documented workers as well. And uh, since the beginning of the situation, the Bangladeshi government, they took back some of the workers when, when the host countries requested them to do so. So it's, it depends country to country. But I want to uh, shed focus on one thing. The Bangladeshi government in the United States and in Great Britain, they are actually quite heavily affected by the corona situation. And uh, I have a report from the Daily Star, uh, country's largest newspaper, that says on April 20th, I think, around 140 Bangladeshis have died so far at the United States. Um, that's quite an unusual number. So what I can say that the, the non-resident Bangladeshis in other parts of the world, they have been seriously affected, especially those who are living in the United States and in, in, in the Great Britain. and 
also in countries like Maldives, in, in China. We, uh, we had some students who were rescued by the government um, once this situation unfolded. And I, I actually want to shed light on one particular instance when in the mid-March, when the situation in Italy was developing, you know, we have quite a large um, uh, migrant Bangladeshi workers living in, in Italy. And some of them were uh, actually allowed to come back to Bangladesh amidst the international lockdown. And this has feared quite a large controversy and, and debate uh, in, in the public. And afterwards, we have seen this, this surge of coronavirus infection, um, though we are not quite sure if, if the virus came from Italy or not. But this has become um, a sort of matter of public debate, whether we will allow the workers to come back or not. Um, so that was another debate that went on for quite a while. But the migrant um, migrant community in other parts of the world, um, as I was telling earlier, in the Middle East, we, we haven't seen like a surge of coming back to Bangladesh, but they have been affected as well um, because many of them have lost their jobs. Uh, many of them, um, the, the, the Bangladeshi workers that, that are undocumented, their situation, they have been quite affected due to the corona situation in other parts of the world. But so far, the, the Bangladeshi government, um, they have sent some assistance to Maldives. That's one step that I can remind of at this moment. Jumping from Bangladeshis abroad to the Rohingya refugee community in Bangladesh, it's estimated that more than one million Rohingya that have fled Myanmar since 2017 are currently residing in Bangladesh. So what can you tell us about the situation in the refugee camps? We, we actually know very little about, about the situation in, in the camps in, in Bangladesh, you know. But in the beginning of the crisis, the government has shut down internet in the camps, you know, the internet connection in, in, the, in the region where the camps are located, so that uh, rumors doesn't spread uh, in the Rohingya camps. So that was one part of it. And, you know, we have the Bangladeshis hosting almost one million uh, Rohingya refugees in, in those camps at, at Cox's Bazaar. So, so far, there is no uh, known cases of COVID infection in those camps. But if, if that happens, the, the situation will very rapidly uh, decline. And that's a matter of concern for for everyone, for the government, for many international NGOs that, that are working with, with, uh, with the situation of the Rohingya refugees. But so far, we, we don't have any, any confirmed cases of COVID infection in, in the Rohingya camps, which is, I should say, this is, this is a little bit comforting, given the situation. And the Bangladeshi government, uh, they have taken some, some measures um, to sort of um, protect the Rohingya uh, refugees. They were provided with uh, soaps and um, other sanitary materials so that they can equip themselves better. And they, the government and uh, with the help of some other international NGOs, they try to increase the, the level of knowledge in the Rohingya refugees. So this has been happening one thing is, you know, as I was telling earlier, is the fear of coronavirus. In the beginning of April, uh, there was a widespread fear and some rumors in, in the camps that some 
refugees uh, have been infected, which proved to be false later. But um, this has been been, been a problem, the, the fear of the infection in the camps. And, uh, you know, in, in the Rohingya camps, they're, they're very overpopulated. And if there is, a, there is any uh, infection, if there is an outbreak, the situation will be devastating. Uh, you know, it, it would be way more worse than what we have now in Bangladesh. That has always been a concern for, uh, for all the parties involved with the situation. It is, of course, hoped that an outbreak of the virus in the camps can be prevented, but how accessible are the health facilities and services of Rohingya in the camps in the event of a spread? The government tried to contain the Rohingya refugees at a very specific region, at Kutsu's Bazaar, uh, where the camps are located. And they those camps, they have their own very primary healthcare facility. If you have a fever, then you can probably go to a doctor and they will give you very primary medicines. But if somebody becomes ill, then there is no dedicated facilities for the Rohingya refugees. And that has been another matter of concern because as, as I was telling earlier, that the healthcare system has already been crumbling. It's in no way it's equipped to face an outbreak on the refugee camps, not in Cuxus Bazaar. Cuxus Bazaar is a, is a very uh, small region in a remote part of the country, not in Cuxus Bazaar, not in in the greater Chittagong region where Plaza is located. And this would add insults to the injury, uh, if I put it that way. If, if there is an outbreak in the Rohingya, uh, among the Rohingya refugees, it would be one of the worst humanitarian disasters that, that we can think of at this moment. Yeah, thank you, Nirja, for shedding light on this matter. And um, before we come to an end, I wanted to go into a little more detail on something you mentioned earlier. Um, you said that when doctors and other frontline staff complained openly about the lack of equipment and other mismanagement, they have faced repercussions from the government. So to what extent can we see similar patterns of restricting the freedom of speech in other areas of society? I want to mention one particular and very uh, recent phenomenon that the, that the Bangladeshi government has started arresting cartoonist journalists. There, there are mass arrests uh, over cartoons and Facebook posts regarding the COVID situation. And, and uh, very recently, in the last week, we have seen uh, an unusual high surge in arresting um, journalists and cartoonists in Bangladesh, the, which, which is directly linked with the COVID situation. I think it was last week. Yes, it was last week when the government filed um, a case against 11 cartoonists and journalists um, and alleging that they were spreading rumors against the government in connection to the COVID situation. And uh, last week, uh, seven uh, ambassadors of some other countries, they have actually given statements on, on the situation. And I, I, I can quote the, the Swedish uh, ambassador in this regard, on May 7th, she tweeted, along with other uh, ambassadors, we need press freedom amid the corona crisis, and it is essential that the freedom of expression is safeguarded uh, in, in Bangladesh and the voice of the journalists are not restrained. So you see, this has become um, 
um, matter of diplomatic concern. And what we have seen that the U.S. ambassadors, um, um, coupled with uh, ambassadors from other Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Netherlands, they have uh, actually spoken out in this regard. Um, there is a Swedish journalist uh, against whom the Bangladeshi government has filed a case uh, in, in Bangladesh regarding the corona situation. Uh, he's a Malmo-based journal- journalist, Mr. Tasneem Khalil. He has been accused of falsely spreading rumor. And this is actually quite disturbing and, and scary because, as I was telling you, it's not only the journalists, it's not only the cartoonists that were arrested and that were uh, intimidated, harassed uh, by, by the government and law enforcement. And there were many doctors and there are other healthcare professionals even some governmental workers, they have been accused and intimidated. Some of them were tortured because they spoke against the the government inadequacies um, in in dealing with the coronavirus situation. And now what we are seeing that the government has taken a very hard line uh, against the the criticisms made by, by, by the journalists and newspapers. So this has been a very disturbing development. Uh, regarding the corona situation in Bangladesh. And now it has become a matter of diplomatic concern, as as you have seen. So it seems that on one hand, the government's responses to the pandemic have been relatively loose, at least when we compare it to neighboring countries. But then on the other hand, there are these drastic measures that the government has been taking against its critics. I think the government is trying to balance the, the inadequacies with more coercive measures against very legitimate criticism from civil societies. That's what we're seeing. Uh, you know, the coronavirus situation has become a, a point where the, the conflict between the government and the civil societies has been opened. Uh, so this is one part which is very disturbing, but uh, very important to follow. Yes. And given this balanced or rather unbalanced approach to government action, how has Bangladeshi society reacted so far? Like, How great is the trust and support for the government in this, in this situation? From my very anecdotal observation, what I have seen, it's not only a rapid mass distrust on the government, actually it has been turning to the point where the people became really disturbed against the government, you know. This is not actually quite new because um, the public in Bangladesh, there is a common uh, distrust that has been always there against the governmental institution in Bangladesh. But the recent situation have made matters way more worse. For example, I know many people, many of my friends and many of my acquaintances, they have zero trust on the statistics provided by the government. Actually, uh, there are instances where the governmental statistics, not not contradicted, but the governmental statistics proven to be very inadequate, that doesn't sufficiently explain the situation. So this is one part from where the distrust is originating. Um, but, but the recent corona situation, from my very anecdotal experiences, I can say that there is a very high level of distrust and discontent among the public uh, against the government. And this has been growing due to, to the coercive measures taken by the government to silence the civil societies in, in Bangladesh. Coming to an end, Nija, I wanted to ask you, 
if you could give an outlook on the next weeks and months in Bangladesh, like what you project to happen? Um, the, there are two aspects of uh, analyzing the corona situation and, and, and this aftermath. The first is the economic one. Bangladesh will be severely affected. Uh, the, the economy is already crumbling and it will not be better anytime soon. And uh, the government's stimulus package, while it's, it seems very promising, but due to the fact that it doesn't address the 87% of the workforce, there is a high probability that this stimulus package won't do anything good to lessen the economic burden from the people. And then again, as, uh, as you might have seen, from starting from this week, we will be easing our lockdown. And amidst the, the situation that the coronavirus infection that is increasing at a very rapid rate, and there is no indication that the curve will flatten in Bangladesh anytime soon. Rather, it's been increasing every day. Um, the, the situation uh, looks pretty green in terms of the economic aspect, in terms of the infection rate as well. And if you compare um, the, the infection rate, uh, Bangladesh has, uh, has the highest rate of infection in the first 60 days. On, on top of that, we have a, a shortage for uh, for testing kits. And actually, overall, overall, we have a shortage for keeping the statistics, you know, so you never know what's the true extent of the situation. Personally, I, I, I think the situation for Bangladesh in the upcoming month, the coronavirus infection will grow at a, at a very rapid rate. We will see more deaths uh, because the situation is still unfolding. You know, it, we haven't reached to the peak of, of, the, of the infection yet. And, and amidst this, um, the government has decided to ease the lockdown due to several factors. Allow me just one last question. You said that the lockdown will be relaxed, but at the same time, we haven't seen a significant flattening of the curve in Bangladesh. So how did the government justify this partial lifting of the lockdown? Uh, as I was telling you, it's, it's uh, basically the, the, there, there are two factors that have been weighed in um, for the government to take this decision. The first one is, is the month of Ramadan. You know? The government didn't want to take the responsibility of giving a lockdown in, in the month of Ramadan. It, you know, this is politically a very sophisticated issue for the government, and the government didn't want to take the responsibility. That's how I see it. And again, the government's uh, factories, they have been closed for one month. And it has been clear that neither the government's manufacturer nor the government, none of them have actually any intention to provide these uh, government's workers. And they know that this will probably have a very strong political repercussion um, if, if the government's worker, if they go into, uh, in, into protest to the street. So eventually, the government cannot control such situation if it arrives. And, and that's what uh, has uh, weighed in for the government to take this decision. In short, the first thing is the month of Ramadan and, and surrounding economic activities with the, with the festival. And then the garments industry. These two things have, um, have been used to justify the, the government decision to ease the lockdown despite there is a continued surge in the, in, in the COVID cases in Bangladesh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Hannah, thanks for your time. And thanks to our audience for listening. And uh, we will be back next week with another episode. Stay safe.